Hello, this is Grad School Grad, a podcast about public policy and international relations graduate programs in the United States. For today's episode, I want to talk about policy grad school's gender imbalance issue that no one wants to talk about. I think this is a very important topic to have an honest conversation about um, because, you know, it influences the culture that of a school dynamics that a prospective student might want to consider joining or not joining. Uh, and then for current students, important to understand this so they can think about how they manage their grad school experience. And then uh, for the administration, it's important to understand, hey, is this how they manage their school culture? And if they want to address any uh, issues and factors stemming out of this. And, but ultimately, the core thing uh, that's the reality I want to highlight that is the source of all this is that the reality is that nearly all policy grad programs uh, in everyone that I encountered um, have student population that is gender imbalanced to majority women, sometimes strong majorities. I think there might be a few exceptions for like s- some programs that are like engineering policy based uh, or very niche policy based, uh, but any mo- yeah, every program I've ever encountered that's a policy grad program uh, is heavily uh, gender balanced be majority women. Um, my policy grad program was a ballpark about 70% women. Um, due to lots of different reasons I could probably write a book about, I expect the gender imbalance uh, to continue to get worse unless, uh, by worse I mean uh, inter- more, more women than men and increasingly more women than men. Uh, unless schools to take action, you know, take action to address it, which right now I, I don't know of any school doing so. So it's it's interesting because in other professional schools uh, I have partaken in. So I have two other uh, graduate diplomas on top of a policy grad diploma, and and they were predominantly uh, male programs. And so for those, those professional schools, under professional schools, um, in engineering sciences, uh, pre- previously, uh, law schools, but law schools have become roughly 50, 50, uh, male, female. I think it's getting more and more female, but still relatively even. But there are lots of, uh, conversations about like, Hey, it, we have a fire alarm issue that it's gender imbalanced where there's, and it leans heavily met, met. And, they are planning committees, resources, uh, consulting research projects, trying to figure out the source of the issue and how it changed things. Um, and yeah, I think that's very appropriate. Um, you, it's at the end of the day, there are certain professions that attract one gender more than the other, historically speaking. But in order to have uh, you know, a, an optimized workforce in terms of numbers and also to have the best uh, co-working experience in the future, I, you know, I think it's very important to uh, try to lean in towards um, s- some level of g- gender balancing that's vi- viable. Um, and yes, and that's done in every other professional school, um, and especially the ones that are um, male-dominated. But the reality is that, for whatever reason, no one wants to talk about a policy school because the issue, the domination is not by the men, it's by the women. It's something no faculty wants to talk about, no administrator wants to talk about, and a lot of students are uncomfortable talking about. 
Um, and the problem by not talking about it is that there are lots of implications of policy schools not at least acknowledging and managing this reality. And I think it really starts with uh, just not acknowledging that this is something to be managed. So I could speak, I, 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 I want to speak from my experience, uh, which, and, and by experience, I mean my experience having been in a policy grad school. And a lot of what I saw has been confirmed by some people from other policy schools, uh, gently discussing the issue with me. Um, but I want to say it's confirmed that this is uh, true for every single policy school. I, every school is a little bit different. But from what clues and hints I have received, um, especially given how this is a topic people are uncomfortable with talking about, um, the, the gender imbalance uh, consequences, at least some aspects of it that I saw in my policy school, is relevant for uh, other policy schools. So before I uh, dig into it, I want to give some context about who I am, because I think context really matters. Um, I personally, uh, I've been in heavily male and female uh, dominated professional environments. Uh, currently, I'm in a female, uh, a professional female dominated environment. I have a female boss. Most of my coworkers are female. I enjoy it and it's been going great. Um, I have always been a proponent of inclusion, uh, and diversity of, fe- of women as coworkers, uh, as parents in the workplace. I've, since the beginning of my professional career, actually since much of my academic career as well, I've been actively involved in supporting women, women's interest in the workplace and academia. Um, I've even done research on the topic and been to conferences where I, I've been a lead speaker uh, about it. So, and I want to say I'm coming at the topic about uh, the consequences of gender imbalance policy school, really from a feminist perspective. And I say this as a feminist perspective in terms of giving women all the opportunities and experiences men are afforded. And that's my interest, or that's the angle I'm highlighting. So um, I first want to note that policy, despite all that uh, experience um, with women-dominated workplace and just at least academic knowledge about uh, women in the workplace, um, I will say that policy school is the only setting in my life uh, where I have felt that being male is a liability and significant barrier to overcome in terms of seeking a positive student experience. Now, when I say this to people, a lot of times they're like, well, now this is experience for women constantly all the time in lots of places, which I acknowledge is true. Now, that being said, um, I think the goal here is that you know, two wrongs don't make it right, or I'm sorry, the thought process here, two wrongs don't make it right. And this is an indicator of things. But again, what I want to emphasize is that I've been in professional environments that are more female dominated than policy school. I've actually been in a professional environment which I was the only male. But this, this, uh, the workplace culture was still not as egregious as what I saw in policy school. Um, the big context, the other big piece of context I want to highlight, and this is more about policy schools, is that I think my policy school suffered a huge issue with gender imbalance, um, with a high, strong majority female, um, because it did not have a cohort system. Instead, it had a free-for-all system of student management. Uh, I made another episode about that, so if anybody's interested, you could go towards that. So what that ultimately means is that 
among students, there was comparatively less experiences, shared experiences to bond over. And it was easier for people to uh, basically socialize and organize themselves by their identity and not cross lines of difference. So essentially self-segregation was a default. Um, It also didn't help that my policy school uh, political policy and career discussions were limited. uh, I I would even say taboo because of the desire to avoid uncomfortable conversations. So for my policy school, a lot of... uh, major gender neutral bonding items were essentially out bounds to bond over discuss over so that kind of like really limited uh the the gender neutral uh, i sources of cohesion and community so all right so i think that's a fair amount of context um now what i really want to do now is i want to highlight the realities i saw in my policy grad program and my understanding is that the realities have persisted. And again, I want to emphasize that, granted, I hear that some of these aspects occur in other policy grad programs um, that, that don't have a, especially those that don't have a cohort system. Uh, I don't want to speak for every other policy school. I just, I'm just highlighting elements of it may exist, but I'm speaking about my, my policy grad program. Uh, so things I saw. Okay. First, women would purposely uh, seek social... Uh, would would seek to social collectivization and they're all under all or near all girl groups uh, and the interesting thing is that on occasion very few occasions uh internally within girl groups they'll be diverse but most often it wasn't and it was a common joke how undiverse the girl groups were uh, among the individual groups themselves so well, in two ways uh i this became a passive aggressive uh, exclusion of men so, and so just to highlight how this would manifest, um, a lot of the social conversations would be catered towards extensively female fan topics, uh, things like the bachelor, women's clothing, birth control, pregnancy strategies. And here, I get it. You know, women want to talk about women's issues. Got it. But look, but even lighthearted, lighthearted topics like the bachelor. Um, what I noticed was it was actually a, just means to really more than just create their own space, but it means to exclude. Um, and it, the, the subtext was that, hey, um, this is something that we're not welcome for men to participate in, even if we could, uh, by we as in men like me. And also, uh, and I, I say this because for lighter, harder women's topics, I actually have a lot of knowledge base around it. I, one of my friends from high school was a producer at The Bachelor. I used to uh, do, pro- I did projects on women's retail. So I could very actively talk about those subjects. Um, but the moment I tried to join the conversation, because I understand I'm the only man there in other places where I'm the only man in the uh, in this workplace, I tried to talk about topics that uh, everyone else talked about, relate to. But in policy school, it wasn't about what you knew about a topic or how you could converse about a topic. It was a matter of exclusion because no one cared that I could coherently probably even give them more gossip about the bachelor than they actually knew. And but then the other thing to think about is that um, you know most American men don't, aren't don't really enjoy talking about bachelor. Maybe some do. Um, most American men can't talk about women's clothing by having. Uh, I understand there's a need in place for women's 
exclusive or women's predominant conversation spaces. But on a campus environment, reinforcing uh, conversation topics as a matter of passive aggressive exclusion, ultimately, I don't think that's a healthy culture. And that was something um, that happens a lot too. A degree in depth and aggressiveness I have not seen elsewhere when women's dominated uh, environments. So that's the passive aggressive informal way of exclusion. The other one uh, was also kind of informal, but was supported by structure. And those structures were student groups. There are certain student groups uh, that were known to be uh, essentially all near all women's or in terms of uh, who actually participated on a regular basis in leadership were all women's. And everyone pre- pretty much knew it. So the two organizations that fit this category were the education student group and the women's policy group. So obviously being a student organization, they couldn't exclude men, but it pretty much became clear, clear it was like a near all-female bastion. Part of it was because leadership was assigned uh, by the application process and the second year students would pick uh, the first year students. And I mean, every now and then uh, over the years, there was a male, but it's very clear by photos, all women, uh, because, you know, I get it. People like themselves and pick people like them. So that's just how it happened. So leadership is all female. They prefer topics and activities and which, um, shall we say, the female that were interested by women interested in education. So, for example, K through 12, uh, I, as someone interested in uh, technical education, that was expressed to me as a not a popular topic and not relevant topic. That So, therefore, it was not to be discussed, not to be concerned about. So, as for the women's policy group, um, the women's policy group essentially was designed to be a women's social club. Um, and... It was made very well aware to me that, yes, on occasion for a photo op, they would have one man or two men to show that they were inclusive. But beyond that, uh, it was about having a guarded female-only space on campus, funded by the school. Um, and that was the de facto uh, sentiment that was carried forward. I want to highlight a, a lot of undergraduate programs have women policy groups, or, or sorry, women's uh, professional groups or professional uh, women's interests, professional groups. And their their philosophy is about, yes, talk about women's issues, talk about women's challenges workplace, but be inclusive of men and the other those who identify as other genders because it takes a team, takes a village to uh, advance women in professional settings. But again, in policy school, it's about having exclusive social club. Um. So another, I want to highlight another issue I saw with gender imbalance. And that was a lot of times uh, policy areas were genderized to kind of fence uh, for women to fence fellow women um, to be peer pressured into popular uh, women focused uh, or thought to be women focused policy areas. now, this didn't happen for every policy space, but I would say this is, str- I saw this being the strongest uh, in two policy areas. And that was education and gender policy. Um, by the way, just for gender policy, just to be clear, traditionally in the policy space, gender policy refers to uh, issues around family and women in society. I realize increasingly it's 
talking about policy about the LGBTQ population. But in terms of academic literature, that's still relatively new. And the core of what's considered gender policy is, like I said, about women and family. Um, I think LGBTQ policy is becoming its own policy space. Uh, so it's coming up to be one in the near future. So yes. Um, so what I saw a lot of times is that there would be small yet noticeable groups of women who were just very much championing, hey, you have to be an education person. Hey, you know, gender policy is the way to go. Um, and because of that peer pressure factor, what that did is that it kept some women from venturing to policy areas just because their women friends didn't venture into it um, or they were concerned that the peer pre- they would look badly if they focused on these areas. Um, and it, even though some of these policy areas were arguably some of the more impactful opportunities, um, they were rightly or wrongly uh, genderized, not sufficiently female. So I'm talking about things like housing, infrastructure, crime, agriculture, energy, or food. Um, I actually saw this up close where uh, I knew someone who quit um, the, the education club and went to focus on housing. And to a certain extent, that person got ostracized uh, by all the education folks. Um, you know, no one would say it was like a messy departure or anything, but it's very obvious um, in terms of social dynamics. So, so what, what I want to highlight overall is that when you, what I saw in policy school because of gender imbalance, everyone loses. But the, the group that lost most were, expe- were the w- women, especially. So I want to break down like how the men lose and the women lose when you have unmanaged uh, gender imbalance in policy grad school. So for men, uh, I saw that a lot of men lost because a lot of men who didn't have deep knowledge of frequent women's topics uh, f- basically felt very lonely that the student community was rather limiting. And they... They basically chose not to participate in the student community or had to find, and a few of them found very small niche groups that they were comfortable in. Um, but I, I just, I knew a few men who were just, went to policy school, pretty sad that they were, were not accepted or no one really took interest in them. And you know, that was their experience. Um, I th- felt that men, I saw that men were lost because they weren't really welcome to explore policy areas with others. Um, since so many women were focused on female dominated policy areas and just the sharing of, uh, aspects or angles beyond the classroom, uh, we could talk about general policy interests or even political aspects of policy from, um, policy areas that were arguably not genderized, quote unquote, as female, um, just wasn't really welcome. And those are some of the areas, some of the men were more interested in, um, and they just weren't, didn't have the opportunity to share. But I think the biggest way that men lost, and it's also in a way how tangentially women lose by about this, is that they didn't really get a good learning experience about how to work with and socialize with, of, with women who have different interests and different experiences because the women didn't allow it. They collectivized with other women and there was no real experience um, for men to essentially work work with women uh, again, part of it goes into how it wasn't cohort system, and because it was free for all, 
uh, there wasn't any real bonds for people of different genders to collaborate and develop cohesive communities. Now, looking back, I had lots of positive experiences working with women that I experienced early in my career, uh, but I felt bad for some of the younger men who essentially, grad school should be a prime time to learn how to work with others, and they didn't get that experience because uh, the, you know, the women weren't, a lot of times the women weren't interested in sharing. Um, but I also want to highlight how a lot of times all the women were losing in this scenario of gender imbalance. Um, the women lost because they didn't get the experience of working and socializing with men who are generally passionate about policy um, and just thinking about other areas of uh, professional policy spaces. I think the women lost extensively by not taking advantage of opportunities to share their points of view with their male, male colleagues so they could be more informed about uh, women, professional women to work in the workplace. Yeah, I mean, women, a lot of times, there was not much conversation uh, or about women's working experiences to men. Uh, it was all very in-group women talking to women. You know, in, in some schools, they use the women's uh, professional group as an opportunity for women to express their frustrations, issues, experiences to men. But there was not a real space to do that at my policy program because, like I said, women are focused on socializing with each other. Uh, women lost because they missed the opportunities considered policy areas that may, they may have liked and maybe had amazing careers in. But instead, for many, I saw that they were just uh, pressured to focus on policy areas that they were more comfortable because there was a self-propelled female gender association. There was kind of like a bit of a mean girls element out of that. Just a, hey, like, like, like I previously mentioned, like there'll be some good like, hey, you better focus on this policy area. Uh, I mean, it wasn't like active, but it was a very passive aggressive uh, type way on kind of on other women. Um, but I think the worst thing that I saw in my policy grad program is that women lost because they didn't have a model to appreciate uh, what inclusion diversity looks like and how to have those difficult conversations that are taking place in the workplace across America uh, about inclusion diversity. And oh, by the way, that matters in lots of professional policy spaces. Um, you know, I am really scared of the day when uh, someone from my policy school becomes in a management role and they have to manage issues of diversity and inclusion. And honestly, coming out of that grad school experience, it was it was a culture that um, they might have some structural things to bring about diversity and inclusion, but culturally, diversity and inclusion was uh, functionally not to be talked about because the de facto self-segregation, gender being especially strong one uh, due to the gender imbalance, uh, was something that was ongoing and never addressed. So I'm you know, talk, talking about half the battle. So um, just on that topic, you know, I understand there's still refusal to acknowledge that there's a gender imbalance to be managed and to ensure the best doing experiences uh, and for opportunities for both men and women. You know, just the radio silence about talking about that um, is very evident from my policy grad program. Now, I will highlight there are lots of uh, ways to address uh, the negative consequences of gender imbalances um, that organizations and academic settings uh, that have a gender imbalance have 
actively utilized to some varying levels of success, but at least they tried. So some tech, some approaches are like what I mentioned, a cohort system. Um, there's honor codes, uh, that are, that are consistent reemphasize about respecting each other's genders and just making people aware of that. Um, there's gender minimum nudges. So for example, um, and, you know, in some recreational sports, uh, I, I play softball, for example, you must have a certain number of women on the field. Um, or else, you know, you can't play. And, you know, it's interesting and male dominated, uh, schools. Uh, there's a lot of the competitions or group events or whatnot. There's usually a fem, or I've seen a female gender, uh, minimum requirement. Uh, and policy school, no such thing. So what happens is that, uh, a lot of teams, a lot of groups for competitions and all that, uh, tend to be nearly all female, if not all female. So again, that's not helping towards cohesion and, uh, collaboration building. So, and I think the biggest thing out of all that and the easiest thing is that among the bigger policy schools, I guess some policy schools, 50 people, doesn't make sense to do a cohort. Among the bigger policy schools, so those are like uh, over 100 or so, um, I I think it makes sense to um, just figure out a way to migrate the cohort system in the interest of diversity inclusion from a gender angle. It obviously, has benefits from diversity inclusion towards other angles, but we're speaking about gender imbalance. Ultimately, I think that until there's more publicity about this issue, I don't think this issue will ever be addressed. Um, and I think it ties into who the leading professors and administrators I saw were in my policy school. Uh, a lot of them were still actively talking about academia's gender issues, relatively what they know. And that was the 80s and 90s. Yes, I, I, I could see very clearly some of the people retiring now uh, or have retired in the policy field uh, are tend to be men and tend to be a lot of them tend to be men. But if you look at the policy professional space right now, along the, among the millennials, um, there's a reason why in many spaces it tends to be dominated by women. And I, a lot of that ties to how policy schools have really uh, addressed the gender imbalance issue. Um, and, and there's lots of areas to address, which you know, I can make another podcast about, but what I'm getting at is that the 80s and 90s are a different time than they are today. And if you don't make an effort to know what the new environment is and have active conversation about it, then uh, it won't be addressed. So what I want to wrap up with is for all parties, prospective students, current students, and um, administration and faculty, is that there's a lot to understand the consequences of when a policy grad school is gender imbalanced or make it any uh, professional grad school is gender balanced, male or female. Um, some of the issues that I saw in male dominated grad schools, um, I saw again in my policy grad school that was female dominated. But the key difference is that my, my male dominated grad school, uh, it was it was active is actively discussed. It was addressed the challenges and efforts that need to be uh, highlighted and noted and managed for having a male dominated program and policy school. Uh, the consequences, negative consequences, just keep on coming and keep on trucking um, because no one wants to talk about it. And you, when you can't talk about it, you can't uh, un- understand what the situation is 
and uh, address the situation. I think ultimately, at bare minimum, I hope this is an issue that talk more so people can understand that there is something wrong and there are negative consequences when uh, a, a gender imbalance is not managed. I will say uh, my, all, my best professional experience has been in a nearly all-female dominated work environment, and that's because the culture that is fostered um, that, by the management, and I really appreciate that. Lastly, I want to highlight is that the few times I broach this topic, a lot of times I get feedback saying, well, it's the women's turn to rule. Uh, you know, th- this is our one opportunity to have it better than the men. Um, I don't think that rhetoric is healthy or helpful. And like I said, ultimately, the people that are really being hurt um, with policy, policy schools, gender imbalance is the women. Um, especially if they are the majority of the students. So they're being hurt by missed opportunities to learn uh, about the gender integrated workplace that America is. All right. Thank you for sticking through this rather interesting and nuanced topic. Appreciate it. Hope you have a great day.